welcome to another episode of Coda Conversations. Welcome. How are you doing? Doing great. Hey, Kevin. How are you? Hi, Roger. Hey. Yeah, we have uh, Jordan started here today. Uh, he's going to tell us about his software journey. Uh, he's going to tell about tell us about boot camp. So uh, can you kind of give us your background? Yeah, absolutely. And I hope uh, if anybody's watching live right now, it's Friday. So I hope you have a beer or something um, and you're kicking back and enjoying yourself. Um, yeah, so my background. Uh, so I, I'm going to go a little bit into my family a little bit, if that's all right to you. So I grew up pretty poor, um, one of eight kids. And um, mm -hmm. I didn't go to college because my parents basically were like, we're not going to pay for it because uh, they couldn't. And so I had a decision to make at the age of 18. I was like, am I going to go direct? Am I going to go into school and like figure that out? And I was, I did well in high school, you know, I got A's and everything. Um, but I was like, okay, do I, am I going to go to school, get a bunch of student loans and debt and that kind of thing and try to figure it out? Um, or am I just going to go straight into the workforce? And so for me, I just did the math at that time. And this is, I think today it's kind of almost like table stakes that there isn't a good ROI when it comes to some um, degrees. I think there are degrees where there's great ROI, but there are certainly a lot where people go to school and they, you know, get $200,000 in debt and then they're, you know, have a job at, you know, Starbucks or whatever. Like that's a pretty common meme right now. But back then this is like, you know, 2008, 2007, uh, that wasn't really a common thing. The common thing was like, you go to college, like a successful person goes to college. Um, and so I, but I, you know, just being, I don't know, I also had a non-traditional like schooling. I didn't go to actual public school. I was homeschooled. So I just kind of like did some back of the map and math. And I saw like in four years, like I'm going to be farther ahead and have more experience if I just go straight into the workforce than if I, you know, go to college. So that's the decision that I made. And it was great. I was happy that I did that. I, I ended up getting a job at um, a nonprofit and I got promoted there a couple of times, worked there for about three years and I was a sales, as a sales manager and event manager. Um, and then I left that job and this is where like the bulk of my career, my success came from. Um, I became a, an account executive, which is a salesperson for a regional construction management company. And I did that for five years. And you know, one of the things that's interesting about that is like when I joined that company, um, I didn't have any experience in construction management. I barely knew how to like hammer two pieces of wood together, right? Um, but my boss basically gave me a shot because of my background in sales. So the, the role is like, you know, there's two sides of it. It's like the sales side and there's like the technical application of understanding how construction jobs work, how they're organized, the logistics of all that. Um, and he's like, you don't really have any of this side, but I can teach you this. What I can't teach you is really like how to communicate with people and sell and have that drive and that hustle, which is able to kind of like communicate and demonstrate to him the interview process is how I kind of came up from, from nothing and, you know, got that first facilities manager job when I was 18, which is kind of like, you know, for an 18 year old, it's a big, a lot of responsibility. Um, so I got, got that job and uh, started off, you know, with just, was just me. I had no sales and he's like, okay, you know, basically going to figure that side out was able to grow my little business within the business. Um, so I had about 35 direct reports by the end of five years um, and was selling into some of the biggest, well, most well-known companies in the world like Google and Bank of America and um, billion dollar real estate investment trust that no one's ever heard of. Um, and uh, so I did that for five years and kind of reached the end of 
where I felt my career could growth could go. So I could have stayed there. I was making about $300,000 a year. So really good money. Um, and I could have stayed there and just kept doing that and retired, you know, maybe a little bit early mm -hmm. reinvest that money. Cause I mean, I, I'm a very frugal person growing up poor, like it's just the way that I am. Right. Um, and, but I wanted to keep growing, you know, I wanted to keep like changing and, and, and growing my career. And I knew that I wanted to also go into tech. So like construction management is cool, but it's really a legacy business. Um, and so mm -hmm. a lot of old thinking, um, there's not a lot of like, uh, drive in that industry. Uh, people kind of like status quo. We know what we know. We do what we do. And everybody does that. Um, and so I wanted to get into tech. And uh, I actually got interviews for sales roles in tech and had some offers and stuff. But then I heard this podcast about this boot camp. And the way that the founder like described the boot camp and what the business model was like really resonated with me. And I kind of talked to my girlfriend at the time, wife now, and kind of went through that with her and told her, I was like, you know, I don't really have to work, right? I had made great money and like I said, I mentioned frugal. So I was like, all right, you know, what if I just took a year off and learned how to become a software engineer? And there was like a couple elements that one is like, I love to learn. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I had never coded before as well. So there's also an element of like this personal challenge, which I guess kind of do to myself all the time. I'm just one of those people like I'm growing my hair out right now. Uh, you can't tell I got like a little bun back here, but I'm growing my hair out to get dreadlocks. Right. And it's like, why in the world would you do that? And it's just because like, it's going to take me like two years to do it. And it's the discipline of like, you know, sticking to it basically. So that was an element too of like, okay, like people say that software engineering, right. Is this super hard thing that like only the smartest people in the world can do. You have to like be really you have to have like a certain kind of mindset or, or mind and the way that you learn, the way you process information. Um, and the founder of this school was like, that's not true. You know, like anyone can become a software engineer. And so that personal challenge also made me want to do it. So I was like, all right, if I'm going to go into tech, maybe I can learn how learn, you know, how it works really from the ground up, right from the technology itself. So even if I end up in a different area of tech other than software engineering, at least I'll have that foundation to go back to. So that's a little bit of my background, long winded, long winded. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah. So yeah, given your uh, background in sales, you kind of started from nothing and worked your way up to the top. Like, did you apply some of those same principles uh, to the software industry? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, uh, hustle will get you a really long way. Uh, even, you know, once I got my first job, you know, in the industry, we do like many, many people who are out there, if, if there any of the listeners are, are also software engineers, you know, you know, you do sprints, which is essentially like a week or two weeks, depending on the size company, sometimes a little bit longer of these like um, planning sessions, right? So at the beginning, you plan all the things you're going to do out during that sprint for that week or two weeks. And then in that planning session, like me as an engineer, I'm going to get assigned a bunch of different things to do. Right. And some of them are going to be like bug fixes in the, in the, in the code. Some of them are going to be building new products. Some of them are going to be like, um, what we call tech debt, which is like fixing old problems that are inside the code base that you, you know, will make it easier to code in the future, things like that. Um, you get this big list, long list of things, right and you have two weeks to do it and so i think some people like they go okay i got two weeks to do it i'm just gonna kick back take my time you know depending on how difficult those items are you might be able to actually finish them in a week right mm. 
And so some people will like stretch it out, you know, for that whole two weeks. But I had that same mentality of like, hey, I got to hustle. Um, I got to work hard. Um, and so if I finish early, like I'm going to go back to the product manager, who's essentially the person who's responsible to of keeping track of those those tasks and making sure that, you know, you get assigned new ones and say, hey, I finished already. What else do you have for me? So, yeah, I know your uh, background in sales, uh, you have to interact with a lot of people. So you have to develop good social skills and a software world. A lot of, you know, we kind of have the reputation of being antisocial. So did those people skills really help you in your career and, you know, communicating, leading? Yeah, you know, I think and I would say this really to anybody who's like you, you're not in tech now. Maybe you're considering or you maybe you want to become a software engineer you know, because of the pay or because of the opportunity to work remotely or whatever happens to be like, if you have a background in anything that's like client facing, or you had to work with people, um, like you actually have this huge leg up, right? You have this massive advantage because you can, you, you can speak to non-technical people in a way that they grasp and understand and even like include them and bring them into those technical discussions. Um, and so if your entire, like, adult career life has been only in the technical space sometimes you're right we have that reputation of only being able to like kind of speak technically um mm -hmm. and and maybe struggle in some of those more interpersonal communications and so uh, i think that it can be a huge advantage coming into the industry because all of a sudden it's this breath of fresh air of wow like this person's software engineer but they can tell they're like team oriented they can communicate to the non-technical people and help because when you're a software engineer, unless you're at a really, really big company where like everything's super segmented, you're constantly going to be talking to non-technical people, mm -hmm. you know, because problems are going to come up with the product or with the code. People are going to reach out to you and they're going to ask you questions and you have to be able and they're going to also ask you for advice on like, OK, we're having this problem. You understand the code. You know, how hard is it to fix it or what are the what are the contingencies that we need to think about in relation to how we fix that problem? And so if you are able to communicate in that way. Like it's this, mm -hmm. it's this great advantage and you can, you know, um, really develop in your career faster um, than if you're just like head down. I don't like to talk to people at all. Mm -hmm. So, you know, for those who did kind of come up through that technical path, like how would what would you suggest they do to kind of improve their social skills to be able to communicate better? Yeah, I don't know if I'm the best you know, person to address this is probably somebody who's more of an expert, but, you know, my my philosophy in life is that almost everything can be learned right so like my background's not in technology but i learned mm -hmm. how to become a software engineer right how did i do that i spent 10 hours a day coding for t for a year basically right and then i became an ex subject an expert you know there's degrees of expertise right but i became you know a solid software professional software engineer that got paid you know six figures in a year by practicing and so the same mm -hmm. thing is true i think of of non-technical skills is just practice and so what does that that might look like you know you you set up a call with some this is how i did it right because i was i mentioned i was homeschooled right so i don't like my social skills coming out of high school were not the greatest but what i did was i found someone is these must to this day is my best friend i found him and he's a really social person you know understands all the cues like lights up a room party, you know, everybody wants to hang out with him. And I just basically stuck to his pocket, you know, and just followed him mm -hmm. around. I'd ask him questions. I would literally ask him, why do you talk that way? So we, like, I just did it. 
he would often begin his sentences with the word so when he's getting to, to know someone. And I asked him, why do you begin your sentences with the word so? So tell me about X and Y, right? And it's just like, it's a, it's this like thing that we don't even think about doing or people that are good at it don't think about doing, but it helps like give the other person comfort as you begin that sentence. Um, so yeah, so it's just practice. So you also feel like having that mentor really helps uh, propel you as opposed to trying to do it yourself. Yeah, I mean, that's pretty much true, like in everything, right? And those mentors don't necessarily have to be people that you are talking to, you know, it can be YouTube, you know, podcast people, it can be people on YouTube. Um, it can be, you know, just books you read. Mentors can mean a lot of different things. Having a person is great, right? Because then you can also ask for feedback and they can give you that feedback right away. Um, but it's not strictly necessary if you don't know anybody like that in your life. There's a lot of different ways to learn and have a quote unquote mentor. I have a lot of mentors that I don't know. So what, what were some of the things that your uh, friend taught you that really helped you step your communication skills up? Well, I mentioned that example with the, the word so, um, but uh, I think like basically being able to like read emotions, um, I think these are kind of hard, sort of hard to put into words, right? But like, you know, um, there was a, so I'll just give you another example, right? So we were in this friend group and there was one girl that was there and I, I have a tendency, especially back then, I would have a tendency just to say like whatever I thought. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, and sometimes those, those thoughts that I have are not kind. And so like I would really offend this girl a lot and not even really realize it because I wasn't like malicious in my thought process. I wasn't trying to offend her. Uh, I was just doing it unintentionally by being brutally honest. Uh, and so that was, yeah, he would come along behind me after those conversations and be like, dude, like you were a total douchebag just now. And like, you're, you know, you gotta, you gotta clean that up. Um, stuff like that. And so you, you kind of was able to bring that ability to read the room into the workplace and like avoid offending other people and communicating with them better. Yeah, totally. You know, it's that like team spirit, like you really want to like feel like you are really contributing and they're contributing to you and you're like giving um, into those relationships because the closer you are and the better you get along, like the more you all accomplish together. So I know, um, you know, making a transition from one field to another, it can be uh, a huge choice. So like uh, what, what really propelled you to, you know, leave uh, sales career where you were very successful behind and uh, say, hey, I'm gonna jump into software, something that I don't know anything about. Totally. So I mentioned the the podcast that I listened to with the founder. So the school at the time was called Lambda School. Today, it's called Bloom Tech, uh, Bloom Tech Institute of Technology. And so what's really cool about this school is their business model. And um, some of your audience may have heard of this before. But the way that it works is um, they when you, when you sign up, you sign what's called an income share agreement, an ISA. And the way that that works is you sign it, you go through school. Once you've completed school and you go to school for free, so it doesn't cost you anything. Once you complete the schooling, then you get a job. And if your job makes, so they put these contingencies into their agreements, not all schools are this way to have ISA. So, you know, you got to make sure you do your research. But in this, in this particular case for Bloom Tech, you get a job, the job must pay at least $50,000 or more before it 
your income share agreement kicks in. So if you get out of, of school and you know you, you don't find a job, you, like, you go back to your old, and it has to be, the job has to be in technology. So if you, for whatever reason, right, you go through all this, you tr learn all this stuff, and then you don't end up getting a job in career, it still costs you nothing, right? You don't, you're not in debt. You didn't waste your time. You learn stuff. You learn that maybe this isn't the right fit for you, whatever it happens to be. But if you are successful, right, you get a job that's $50,000 or more, you pay back to them 14% of your income for two years, right? And then you're done. So I have a friend, right? She has uh, a master's in psychology. She works as a social worker today. And she mm. has been out of school for 12 years. She is still paying back her student debt, right? Oh, wow. I, you know, went to school for one year and I finished off my repayment to, to Lambda in two years. So that alignment in outcome is really, really cool for a lot of reasons. One of the reasons is it incentivizes the school to build the curriculum in such a way that prepares you to get a job in a real company at using real technology today. So this is not the case at all schools, right? There's a lot of great tech technical schools out there. Uh, I think of like the University of Waterloo in Canada, like amazing school where you'll go there, that's a traditional college and you'll learn you know, what you need to learn to get a real job. But there are also a lot of schools, particularly community colleges, where they teach you technology that is extremely outdated. And so mm -hmm. you go in that and you'll learn some fundamentals, right? But then you'll, when you actually go to get your first job, you will not necessarily know the things in the tech stack. And then when I say tech stack, just so for anyone who's not technical, what that means is like the different coding languages and or databases and or web servers that you are at web applications use to host these things up on the internet. The tech stack that you use will be, you know, 30 years more advanced than the, than the technology you learned in school. And that's a huge gap. And the reason why those things are outdated in those more traditional schools is they are not incentivized to help you get a job. They make their money either way because you pay up front. So with the land, for the Bloom Tech, because your, your outcomes are aligned, they only get paid if you get paid. They are incentivized to make sure that the curriculum is up to date and what current job hiring managers and, and, and uh, technology companies are looking for today. That's the first thing. Their curriculum is actually curriculum is actually you know bleeding edge, and to get you you know teach you things that hiring managers are actually looking for. And then two, it is they're incentivized to actually prepare you for that job. So like after you learn this modern technology, they have an entire career coach uh, coaching arm of the school that is there to help you set up your portfolio site and get a resume, update your social social media get you on a cadence for applying jobs, helping you reach out to people. Because when you're breaking into the industry, it's way more likely, unless you're like, like I had a successful career prior to going to school, but that's not gonna be the case for everyone. And so if your resume is pretty sparse, you need ways to find ways around sort of the like traditional, I'm just applying to jobs. And so they'll also teach you and help you figure out how do you reach out to people in the industry through social media, and get in front of these hiring managers or recruiters so that way you can get an interview because all the like applying and resume and portfolio site when especially when you're first getting in the only goal of all that stuff is to get an interview right 
Um, so yeah, so that's why like to go circle all the way back around to your question, why did I make that jump? Well, one, I like money is great, but it's not the most important thing to me. Like I want to be challenged. I want to be learning. I want to be doing new things. And so I was willing to leave that behind because the opportunity to be challenged and to learn new things. Um, but, but what made me actually make that jump? Cause there's, you know, like, I know Kevin, you had said your background was you were self-taught, which I amazing, like, that's so good. I really, really respect you. Um, but you, uh, if you're, if I was going to make that jump, it would only happen in a situation like Bloom Tech, right? Where I knew that they're, they're invested in my outcome. Um, I wasn't going to go back to school for that uh, in a traditional sense where I'd have to spend four years or whatever to get a degree um, and not be necessarily confident that they're incentivized to help me once I, once I graduate. With, uh, I have a question. With so much information available online for free, right? Mm -hmm. As is joining boot camp worth it? Because I see that, like, I mean, obviously they'll help you with all the career advice and the guidance and everything. But I see the same kind of advice on LinkedIn too. Like the same people who are giving, like, okay, do this, do this. Like, why, why should someone join a boot camp? Yeah, that's a great question, and I would say. You know, I only have experience with one boot camp. Now, I have talked to a lot of people from a lot of different boot camps, and I would say that the what you get out of those, out of many many boot camps, is not, you know, demonstrably better than what you can get for free online. I would agree with that 100%. Uh, at this particular boot camp, the full time track is nine months, so that's a long time, um, and the full time track requires you to be butt in seat in front of a computer for about eight hours a day. That's a lot of discipline if you're teaching yourself, right? It's very, very hard to say, I'm not going to let anything like interrupt me. And I'm going to sit in front of a computer for eight hours and code and or learn to code. Um, so for me, the real, the real essence of what, you know, you, you absolutely, you know, if you can do it, like, like I said, the Kevin is a unicorn to me, right? Is someone who actually did it, who broke it down step-by-step, step, figured out how to become an engineer, software engineer on his own. That is just, I can only speak for myself, not something that I would have had the discipline to do. And I'm a pretty disciplined person in my, in my, in my life. Um, but the community that you get. So like, for instance, with Bloom Tech, like there's a, there's a gentleman who I was in my cohort. I went to his wedding. You know, like I built some real, real legitimate relationships with, with people at this school. Um, and, you know, that's something that they say about college too, is like the relationships you build, right? The only difference is again, in this particular school, like it's hyper-focused on one thing. You're not learning a bunch of like adjacent, you know, I think the farther you go in the higher education, like you get more focused, but at the beginning, if you're like early on, like in college, like you have to learn a bunch of other stuff to get your associate's degree or to get your bachelor's degree. That's not necessarily related to your core degree. So Atlanta is like, everything's focused on what is the stuff you need to know to be a software engineer. And then you have those relationships on top of that. And those relationships as well as like, if you get stuck, right? That's one of the hardest things that when you're first learning to code is like, what happens if I get stuck and I can't find the answer? Like there's answers out there, but what if I can't find it? 
you know, helping me get unstuck quickly really, I think, magnifies and uh, gives you this great, like, uh, multiplication, multiplicating effect on learning. Whereas like, yeah, I could still learn it by myself, but it might take me two days, but because there was somebody there who's also gone through that and they got like, maybe they're like a few weeks ahead of me, I can kind of bounce this question off of them and they can give me all the context. And I have that grok moment. And again, for anyone who's not a software engineer, grok moment is like when you get that aha moment, uh, and, and be like, oh, like, okay, yeah, no, now I understand how this all works together. And you unlock that. So that was what I would say is like, why go to a boot camp is like, you have this like dedicated, focused place with a community of people that are all going through the same thing. And in this particular case, in this particular school, I can vouch that the curriculum is right on. Um, I, so in, again, in, in the industry, there's this thing that you do called pushing code. So, so you write the code and then you push it out to a place where it gets hosted on the internet essentially. And usually when you get a job and you're a junior engineer, nobody trusts you, right? You don't know anything. And so they don't let you push your code uh, for a long time. Like you have to basically like kind of follow someone else around for a few weeks, learn, watch, read. And then after a while, then they'll let you make one tiny little change, right? But at this particular bootcamp, because they train you on the things that you really need to be to to know in order to be successful as a full stack software engineer, uh, I was able to push code on the first day at my new job, you know, my very first software engineering job. Um, and again, you know, that's not necessarily super um, common. Um, but but because they prepare you so well, specifically to be successful in a real career, I think that isn't too common for bloom tech bloom tech grads. Does that make sense, Raja? Yes. You feel like that's uh, fair? Yes. Uh, I wanted to ask you this, like the coding standards that they taught you, are they the same in your company? Like, do they uh, feel like they're at the level of the industry standards? Yeah, hundred uh, percent. You know, I got a little bit lucky that the tech stack that I learned at Lambda is the exact same tech stack that I use every day at my company. So from that standpoint, like, um, yeah, it's a little bit easier, right? Because I knew, I, I knew that language, those languages or those frameworks, if I had had to go to a different framework, you know, I would have had the foundations and been able to learn the new stuff, but it may, maybe would not have been there. And of course, like, you know, this, my skill level, the day I started versus my skill level two years later was like night and day difference. So you look back at that code that I wrote, you know, in my first few weeks is like horrible in comparison because you know once you're in it you're truly in it and an actual professional environment with other professional um engineers that have been working for years in the industry you just learn so much even, your learning goes even farther than it than it did you know in, in school uh and also coming to the interviews like do you think boot camps in general like make you ready for the interviews or do they make you ready for the job like yeah you know, you hit the nail 1000% on the head. And that is the area that I feel Lambda, or I should, I keep saying Lambda because they originally called Lambda School and now they're called Bloom Tech. I went there while it was Lambda School. So I apologize, I keep doing that. But at Bloom Tech, um, those are very different skills, right? The skill of actually working in the job and the skill of passing an interview are completely different. And I feel like they prepared me extremely well for the job, which honestly is the most important part, right? 
I feel like they didn't prepare me as well for the interview. I will say that today they do a better job, right? So they're, they're, they're startup too. So they're constantly iterating and growing. So they do a better job today in preparing you for interviews. Um, but I definitely smashed my face a few times uh, on my first few interviews uh, and completely failed. And then I was like, oh, okay. Like I need to go back to the drawing board and figure out what I'm doing wrong. And then I went and I found a lot of those free uh, resources that you described, Raja, around like, okay, how do you prepare for an interview? Because it's a completely different skill. Um, like I said, like all the stuff you do with your resume and your portfolio and uh, your, your like side projects and all that stuff is to prepare to get to actually allow someone to give you a chance to get into the interview room or on video call, or whatever it is. But once you're there, totally different skill set. And I'll also say, Raja, like at Lambda, again, we learn the uh, applicable stuff that you're going to use every day in your job as a, as a web developer. Um, but in a lot of these uh, interviews, what you're doing are sort of like coding riddles, essentially, or, or what we call a data, a data structure and algorithm problems. We don't really practice those that much. But that being said, is like, if you know that that's what the interviews are, and you want to be diligent, well, on your in your spare time, when you're not like, in doing whatever your work is for that day for the school, you should be grinding, you know, those things. So you're prepared better for them at the end. I didn't do that enough, not nearly enough. Um, and if I had done that more, I would have been better prepared. Do you think bootcamp should teach that? Cause I mean, technically if I get a job, like that's good. But if I don't get a job, it may be like, I'm missing some skill and that skill should have been taught to me by then. Yeah, like I said, I think they do a better job today than they did. Um, and I'll say that I probably do a better job than most because most boot camps, right, they're only three months. So if you have a, and you can you can structure it different ways. If you have a nine to 12 month uh, school, like you're just going to learn a lot more in that amount. You know, it's three times the amount of time that a typical boot camp is. And so you just have this, you have so much more you, you glean and you learn um, than if you are doing it in a shorter amount of time. Um, but yeah, I agree with you uh, that they help you with so much of all the rest of the stuff. And so you, I think as a bootcamp grad through LoomTech, you get way more interviews than you would because you have all your ducks in a row to get people to give you a chance to get in that interview room. But then once you're there, yeah, it's just, it's just hard. It's just super hard. Um, but I will say, oh, sorry, I was just gonna say, I will say that the other element is that a little bit of interviewing and like getting a job is kind of like luck, right? It's like right, right place, right time. So like not every job makes you go through those sort of, we call them coding challenges, right? Which is like, like I said, those sort of coding riddles, not every job does that, especially for junior engineers, or they make them there. They're so simple. It's like really easy to pass. Um, and, or some of them also, and these are the best ones, right? Is they give you, like challenges that are real life, like something you would actually do on the job. And sometimes those are take home tests as well. And those are my favorite, right? Where it's like, there's no pressure. There's no one like breathing down my neck. It's like, you know, here's a applicable thing you would do in real life. You know, I'm going to give you two days, you know, come back to me when you have it finished and we'll review it together. And you'll kind of walk me through your thought process. Those are like slam dunks, easy interviews. Um, unfortunately, for whatever reason, you know, a lot of companies don't do it that way, but I would, I would love it if more did. 
personally, I don't like take home interviews, honestly. Yeah, I don't. Uh, yeah, I, well, you're a little bit farther, and and I think like sometimes those take homes can definitely be like they ask way too much, um, yes. and sometimes and you got to be careful with spam- scammers too, right? Where they're actually trying to get you to like build something, yeah. yeah, for free that they would need to pay someone to do. Those aren't good either. Mm. But if it's but if it's like more if it's like legit and it's like the really like simple something you could do in a couple hours you know obviously just a training thing and just assess you know your abilities i love those ones you know they say it's going to take 3 hours to complete this but when i actually get down it's like 6 hours and like 8 hours of my time and i'm like i'm not getting paid for all this time that i'm doing this work for you why don't you just give me like a live coding interview where you act, ask me the same question we'll go through it together Let's see if it takes three hours. I mean, obviously, it's not going to take three hours. It's going to take more than that. But it's like, I don't know. I have something against take-home assignments. Yeah. Well, and I love about that, too, is that kind of, like, exactly explains my thing. It's like, it's a little bit of it's the luck of the draw, right? Because you're going to go into the companies where it's a live coding interview, and you're going to smash those. And that's going to be the company that's going to send you that offer. And I'm going to go into those, and I'm going to be like, this is horrible. I don't want to, you know, I'm terrible at this. But I'm going to smash the take home ones that just ask me to like walk through my thought process of how I built it afterwards. Um, and those are going to be the ones that are going to offer me a job. So it's like different, but like both of us are getting jobs at the end of the day. It's just like, did we actually apply to the company that fits sort of like where we're at? Does that make sense? So like, okay. like they should apply to the company, which the interview process is easy for them to. Yeah. yeah. And you, unfortunately, you just don't really know what that's going to be ahead of time. So you just got to apply to everywhere or, you know, try to reach out to people and build relationships. So, yeah, I know, like with the interview process, there's so many failures that you have to go through. How do you mentally how does a junior mentally deal with that and not get discouraged? You know, I'm going to steal something from you, Kevin, that you talked about before the before the uh, we went live. And you said that you tried to, you made it a game. And you said you, you tried to fail at least 10 times a day. And I, t- I think that that's like a, a super good idea, right? It's just recognizing that failing is part of the process. I think in general, this is not just software engineering, but just in life. Like I always talk about this where like if you have a baby, right? Or an infant and it's trying to learn how to walk. Well, when it's trying and failing, you're like, oh my gosh, good job. You can do it. You know, everybody's super supportive of that little infant. But then you have an adult or a teenager or whatever. And, you know, let's say it's basketball. Right. And they go on the basketball court the first time and they don't really know how and I'm speaking to this because I'm terrible at basketball. And they go in there trying to dribble and they're like really bad at it. You know, you, they get made fun of. So mm-hmm. I, I don't like we flip it on its head for some reason once you're a little bit older. But in truth, like failing is a part of the process. Right. It's a part of like how we learn and you have to fail. And, and I will I wish that our culture was more um, supportive and uh, kind of like applauded failure a little bit more, if that makes sense, so that we could be, people wouldn't be so afraid to do it. And it wouldn't be so like mentally taxing. It's not just the fear of beforehand, but it's also like during the process of like that feeling of like rejection and failure and shame. And it's like, that's all built into us. It doesn't have to be that way. So that's kind of how I approach it, Kevin, too. It's like, everything like even you know switching over to being a software engineer from sales is like am i going to fail at this well i don't know i might but it's still worth trying um and everything that i try for the first time i'm terrible at Mm. 
is kind of the process. Um, so I think, you know, what you said, again, if I re reframing your mindset to saying like, I'll fail, I'll learn, I'll go to the next one. And it's not, I say that like, it's simple. It's not right. There are times where I would, like I said, those first, I was like probably the first like week of interviews. I had like two or three, um, I had been applying before I actually graduated. And I like just completely like horrible, like stuff that I knew and I could easily solve, you know, I still like did terrible. Um, and you know, I finished it and i like ruined the rest of the day, you know, but next day I wake up and, I, and I'm like, all right, clean slate. Like, let's go. Yeah. I, uh, speaking on like applying and just sort of, uh, like, uh, getting the rejections out of the way. Like, that's how I looked at it when I was first applying to jobs where it was like, all right, I don't, I want to fail at, I think I heard some, someone say like, what'd you, what did you fail at today? And if you didn't have anything you failed at today, like you wasted a day essentially. And so like, uh, I just, before I got a software engineering job, uh, I mean, Kevin could probably attest to this where it was just like, I apply to places and I would just constantly get rejected, rejected, rejected. And it got to a point where I would see the rejection email, or like, thanks for applying, or we went with another candidate and I'd be like, all right, you know, it is what it is. And it's, it's a Tuesday. <laughs> it's, it's just another Tuesday, man. Yeah, you have to kind of uh, get tough, get tough skin when it comes to this game because it's a numbers game uh, as well. You know, just like making it a game, right? You you have to grind to get the experience to level up. You know, you you've got to you've got to get those rejections out there to make your skin tougher, and then eventually, when you get that uh, that offer, it, it feels really good. You know, you, you beat the boss. You you. <laughs> Yeah, I, I love that video game analogy, like leveling up. Like it's like you're each time you're getting something. Because so I'm old school. I play uh, an, a, a massive multiplayer online game called EverQuest, which is like the okay. precursor to World of Warcraft. And mm -hmm. you got that little EXP bar, right? And it's going across. So I see that, like you know, you mm -hmm. you sent that email, you did whatever you need to do, and then like your EXP bar went up a little bit. I, I really like that analogy. Yeah. Like there's there are a lot of like apps that are getting into gamification they they reward you like some kind of coins or some virtual currency for like you know doing things in your life and that builds confidence in yourself too yeah yeah that's cool and the other thing too i think you know it's important to think about like for your own psychology is like where the the, the hiring the company is coming from right and again a little bit of this is luck Whereas like that company may be at a place where they just, and this like, so I work at a company called Alpha Medical or virtual primary care for women. And we've had these different stages of our engineering team, right? Where the cohort I got hired at, we had a senior engineer and they didn't necessarily need another senior engineer. So they were okay with hiring someone in my case, because I Lambda school was so long, basically had a year of experience, even though it wasn't experience in the, like in the real world, it was still software engineering experience. They were okay with taking someone with like a year of experience and just paying them less um, and then let them be mentored underneath the senior. But after I got hired and one other person, another sort of like early, like junior, early, mid got hired, uh, we weren't at that place anymore, right? Where we could support any more juniors because there's just not enough seniority, right? So we then went a couple of years before we hired any more juniors. And then after I'd been there for two years, then we hired three more juniors, right? And all of them were out of, well, let's see. Yeah, all of them were out of Bloom Tech. 
because uh, I was able to refer some of my um, the people that I went to school with is to come join our company that I was like, oh, those guys are really great engineers and gals, which is another great thing about boot camps, Raj, is you build those relationships and, you know, you get these opportunities that come to you um, as well. But, uh, but yeah, so it's like each company is a different place. And so just having that, like, it's not you, they're not rejecting you. They're just like, maybe that's not where they're at as a company right now. Um, and that's, that's okay. So you just got to get lucky and find the one where they are open to, you know, somebody who's maybe a little bit less experienced. Uh, so yeah, earlier, oh, go ahead, Ryan. Uh, uh, I want to ask how did the communication change from when you were in person to when you became virtual? That's a great question. So yeah, so we started, at, I started at Alpha um, and we were going into the office. And then of course the pandemic happened, we went virtual. Now here's the other great thing. I, you know, I keep talking about Bloom Tech, but it's 100% virtual, right? Everything's online. You're in Zoom calls. You're on Slack, which is exactly how it really works in the real world, right? Uh, so you develop all of the skills to work remotely, um, all those like digital communication skills that you need. Um, and so, yeah, so when we went at, at, at Alpha, when we basically all started working from home and we shut the office down, terminated our lease, said, and we're a virtual online company. So it's like, there's really no need for us to be in the office. Like literally no one needed to be there. There are companies where they do, ours is not. So when they shut that down, it was like just clicking right back into what I'd already been doing for the last you know year and a half. Um, and it was super easy. Um, so yeah, it was, it was like, I was super prepared for that transition. And our company was already like a little bit hybrid. Like if you needed to work from home, you could. So a lot of people took advantage of that here and there. Um, so yeah, it was pretty pretty smooth, Rush. So yeah, you kind of mentioned, uh, you know, mentorship within a company. So like once somebody gets out of boot camp, they, stop, they start working and, you know, if they can't find a mentor inside of their own company, how do they go about looking for mentorship and, like what qualities would make a good mentor? Like what do they have to evaluate before they reach out to somebody? Yeah, good question. Um, so I'll, I'll let me speak to mentors inside of an organization for like inside your company first, mm -hmm. if that's okay. So when I joined Alpha, I, our senior engineer, he didn't have that much more experience than me. He was, he'd been, um, I think a full stack software engineer for like two years. So it wasn't like super, super senior either, but he is a genius. So um, he's just like one of these people that like read this code, you know, and they, those people exist. <laughs> but um, so, but he's also not the most like uh, personable, you know, he's a more like what you think of that stereotypical sort of software engineer. He doesn't talk too much, he's a real quiet guy. Um, but he's a genius. So I just bothered him all the time, constantly. And he's very nice. So I don't know if it like made him crazy or not, but he always like, you know, took time. And I just asked him questions constantly um, because the way he wrote code is just like so beautiful to me. Like it's just so clean and so smart. And I'd be like, why did you think that way? You know, and, and then also if I just ever got stuck on something, my, so the rule of thumb at Lambda is work on something. If you get stuck on it and you're stuck for at least 20 minutes, reach out to someone. And so I just took that same practice. 
I go through something and I'm stuck on it and I don't, I'm not like, I don't, it's not like a hard and fast rule, like no matter what, but it's like, I can tell, like, even if I spend another two hours at this, I'm not going to figure it out. I just, I would just ping him and, uh, or at the time I could just take my computer and walk over to his desk. Um, so that's what I would say, like, from that standpoint is like, don't be afraid. People really want to help you. I think the most part, unless the culture is super toxic. And if the culture is super toxic, you don't want to work there anyway. And there's so much opportunity, you can get a job somewhere else. Um, so yeah. Yeah. Again, I get this, you can sense a theme. Like when I was trying to learn social, like social skills, as I mentioned, like I just went to that person who identified had great social skills and I just followed him around and bothered him and made him teach me what he knew. So I kind of did the same thing with Paul. Um, so in terms of identifying another person as like, as I mentioned earlier, is like, there's lots of ways to get mentors that maybe they're not like your person, like where you're hopping in a zoom call, but you can still learn from them. You know, there's so many great people online on YouTube. Like we had, you had, um, Kyle Simpson on the other day, like that could be your mentor, right? When it comes to JavaScript, like the guy's also kind of a genius. So you watch his stuff, you know, you pick up what you can from him. And then there's so many communities like on discord, you know, there's so many software engineering communities. So like one of my favorites is actually, uh, I don't know if you guys have heard of the company Stripe. I'm sure, sure most of you have is a payment processing company. They have a discord, right. For the, for engineers. And like, you can go on there and yeah, people are talking, asking questions about like Stripe implementations, but there's people on there and you can just talk about whatever, right. And you build that relationship. And then maybe you guys like decide to play a video game together or something and you build a relationship and then you ask for their help. You know, I think there's so many ways and the, the communities that are online now for engineers, like there's more today than there's ever been. So there's so many ways to, to get connected with people. I think just not being afraid in the same way, like you be hard to talk about with applying to jobs, same thing with like people and getting to know people. It's hard. I don't like to do it. Uh, I'm an introvert at heart, even though with my sales background, like the, the, the reason I was successful was actually not because I was good at talking to people. It was because I got stuff done. And that's what my customers liked. So I gravitated to customers that like, didn't want to talk to me and just wanted me like wanted someone that they could trust to get stuff done. Um, so like, I totally get it. Like it's hard, but, uh, but it, like you guys talked said already, like if you're not putting the work in and getting the experience bar to go up, you're never going to graduate to, you know, or achieve or, you know, beat the boss and get a mentor. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, did y'all have any uh, more questions? Um, I, I, it wasn't really a question, but I, I did want to ask, well, yeah, I guess it is a question now. I can turn it into a question. Um, how long, you said you, I, I'm, I came in kind of uh, midway, but uh, as far as like experience, I think you said you came from a boot camp or you, right? So yeah. uh, in your curriculum, one, how long was it? And two, how how uh, how much time did they focus on things like version control and data structures and algorithms? Yeah, so great, great, great question. So uh, when I, as I mentioned, they're iterating. So I'm going to tell you what it was like when I joined and what sure. it's like today. Yeah. And some of, there is some overlap, but there's some changes. So when I joined, I joined the full-time cohort. And the way that it's broken up is um, three months in basically what they call like uh, software fundamental, like web, so web development fundamentals. So you're learning CSS, HTML, 
um, and JavaScript. And you're really just learning the base, like what's a head tag, what's a body tag, you know, how to build semantic HTML, how yeah. CSS works um, for JavaScript. It's like, what's an array? Like, cause like literally I didn't know what an array was. I didn't know how to do, do array methods. I didn't, I couldn't even really kind of grasp like the difference between a function and a method. Like it took me like, I don't know, five months to figure out that those are two different things and why they're different, even though they're kind of also the same anyway. Um, so first three months is that sort of fundamentals and you, and it's part of the fundamentals, you learn all the Git control, you know, you, 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 they walk you through how to pull up a terminal for the first time and pull down a repo and all that kind of stuff. Um, so you spend like a week just on, you know, Git version control stuff. Um, and they do help you whether you have a Mac or a PC, you know, it's two different, slightly different, but basically the same. Uh, and so then you do that. And then for the next three or so months, it is actually, I should say it's probably two months is like a front end framework. In this case, for my, my case, it was react. So you basically grind away at react for two months. And then at, you go through about six weeks of what's called labs. Now, everything I've said at this point is basically like your standard bootcamp, right? You learn the fundamentals, you learn react, and then you're done. This labs portion is really the difference maker, I think, for Bloom Tech. And what it is, is you get to together in these groups of like five or so engineers. And usually you'll have like one project manager who like works for the school. And you become a developing development team. And you work for a real company. So Bloom Tech has partnered with nonprofits and small businesses, and they have apps they want to build and they use the students to build those apps, right? And so you have to meet with a stakeholder and you have to understand what their needs are. And then you develop like a, basically a technical specification document. And then you guys have to work together. So there's two ways. If you're building it from scratch, you have to work together to just design basically like what your file structure is gonna look like. You'll have to agree on your naming conventions, you know, how those folders will be organized in your code base. You'll divide the team up. So some people will do backend, some people will do front end based off of their like preferences. You might switch those around so that way everybody gets a chance to work in the whole code base. Um, and then you're meeting with your project manager and the stakeholder, making sure you're on track. So you're simulating a sprint, which again, I mentioned at the beginning, a sprint is like this, these weeks of work that you plan out and schedule. And that's like the cadence of software engineering. And as a professional is you work in these sprints you decide what these things you're going to build are during that week. Then you build on them. You look back at what you did, you, you know, retrospective, seeing like, okay, what did we do? What did we not do? What needs to work on? And you plan the next sprint. And so you you kind of get this great practice. And when you go into interviews, you can talk about that lab's experience. And that was like the biggest game changer and the biggest like separator between me and other junior engineers. Is like I had this experience where I was like literally really writing code in a way that's exactly the same as professional software engineers write that code um, for a real business. Um, so that you do that. And then at the very end, <laughs> there's like two weeks to four weeks, depending on what's your, what you're going through for data structure and algorithms. And that's why I said, Raja, is that like that piece at the end, you're getting the fund, like the true like computer science fundamentals, like, you know, O notation and like, how memory works inside of a computer and that kind of stuff. And then you do some DSA, um, like actual like code challenges in that. 
but it's because it's so short. I didn't really get enough practice at that to be successful in, in the interviews. And so then I had to like go and do that on my own time as well. And again, they do it better now. They actually make you do some of those like code challenges throughout the entire curriculum. So you're constantly practicing. And by the time you get to the end, it's structured into the curriculum that you've practiced it a lot. But at the time I wasn't, I wasn't able to do that. So that's how it was when I started way it is today. And this is super, super cool. And, and I just want to bring this up because uh, I think it get, gets rid of, if anybody's who's watching and you want to become a software engineer, I just really tell you like, reach out to me on LinkedIn. It's in the show notes, you know, wherever you're watching, like send me a message. I'm basically on LinkedIn like 24 seven. So send me a message. I will respond to you. We can chat if you want. But what's really, really cool about this new way that they are doing Lambda School, or I'm sorry, I'm saying the way they're doing Bloom Tech is it's kind of like a Peloton. So I don't know if any of you guys have a Peloton. I didn't have one. Um, but essentially the way that these Pelotons work is there's a schedule, right? And there's these like live sessions and you can like basically just drop into a live session. And so when you are going through Bloom Tech, you're in a certain section, right? Let's say you're in JavaScript 1. And you have to get through JavaScript one to get to JavaScript two. And like the way I did, it was like button seat, eight hours a day, you go through it, right? There's no other options. But the way it is now is maybe you can't do button seat for eight hours a day, right? You have kids, you have job, another job or you know, whatever the distractions are in your life. Well, there's a JavaScript, you know, one on Tuesday at 11 and Tuesday at seven. There's also a JavaScript one on Wednesday at 8 a.m. and Wednesday at 3 p.m. And there's also a JavaScript one at Thursday, you know, at 11.30 a.m. and at 9 p.m. And so whichever of those slots work for you, you just drop in to that class. And so regardless of what your schedule is like, if you are trying to get through school super fast and you're super driven and you want to work 10 hours a day, you can take that 12-month experience that I had and shorten it to six months. Or if you're part-time and you don't have the ability to be button seat for that long, then you can do it over the course of a year and a half or two years or however long it takes you. It's sort of this self-guided experience, which is you know what you get on all these freeways where you can go on YouTube or you know free code camp or org or whatever it is. Um, it's self-guided, but it's also when you drop in, they're live teachers. Right. So they can answer questions. They're actually like right there going through the curriculum with you. And then also you have the student body that's also there with you. And you have a cohort of people who are you, you get paired with at the beginning. And these are the people you rely on during your whole time that you can reach out to and say, hey, I'm stuck on this. I don't understand that um, and work through. So it's super, super cool. And it takes I, I really feel like it just removes all the barriers to where literally if you want to do it, you can do it. Um, so, yeah. If you are interested in becoming a software engineer, dude, reach out to me on LinkedIn. I would be happy to, to talk with you. Um, and, you know, I gave you a lot of my experience here, but sometimes, like, I know there's more questions. But, yeah, that answer your question, Terrence, of, like, how it all breaks down. So yeah. going through all that, it's, like, it's a long time. And you really, I really believe you learn enough, or I definitely learned enough to go, go and be, become a successful software engineer. Nice. Thank you. Roger, Terrence, did y'all have any uh, any more questions? No, no that's I, I, I did. Fun. I did want to address that. one last thing, if that's all right, Kevin. Sure. Got like, I got like six minutes or four or five minutes left. Um, so 
salary negotiation. Let's say, you know, you go, we talked about, you know, the interview process and all that stuff. Let's say you get the offer. Um, I just wanted to bring this up because I think like you can, you, I just, I feel like a lot of people undervalue themselves. Right. And so you might go that get that job and like every other job you've ever had, you were making like $30,000 a year or whatever. You gotta like change your mindset because as a software engineer, you know, like even as a junior, like you can make 90,000, hundred thousand dollars a year. Like you can do it. Um, those jobs are out there, uh, particularly in this remote world, right? If you apply to jobs that are in places like, you know, maybe you live in Nevada, but you know, if you apply to jobs where people live, where the, where the, the company is in San Francisco or is in New York, you know, or Atlanta or Seattle, like those salaries, they're so good. And you can, you can get jobs there, um, at those types of companies. So, I just wanted to bring up, so like when I got my offer at, at uh, the company I work at now, it was for 95,000, or sorry, it was for 90,000. And essentially I I was like, okay, you know, like that's pretty good. But again, I mentioned my background, like I made a lot of money in sales. So like, I was just like, that's, you know, not really gonna do it. And I had to add that I, ISA, the, the income share agreement for those first two years. So, it's like, I got, I had been married at this point. So I was like, I really need to make more money than this. <laughs> um, but, uh, so never had a job in software engineering before. $90,000 is the offer. So I went back and I said, Hey, you know, I'd really like to, to come up in that. Um, and the thing is like, it's really important to understand is when you are at a place where you get an offer, the power dynamic shifts, right? So they really, once they've given you an offer, they've invested like $40,000 up to that point to get you to the place where you're an offer, right? Because they they have all the staff that they have, the recruiters, they've invested time. The hiring manager wrote a job description. They posted it and it cost them money to post to different places. All the time to go through all the interviews of all the different candidates. You sum all that up and it's costing the money about 40, the company about $40,000 to get to the point where they can offer, you know, one person a job. So they don't want to spend forty thousand more dollars to get to the next person. They want to get you a. They want to get you to agree. And all of them have a budget, right? And they can come up with that budget. So it's like how much you negotiate. But all of them expect you to negotiate. So what I did was I really wanted to get to a hundred thousand. So what I did was I said, okay, we're at ninety. Um, I'd really like to come up to ninety-five, um, and then she's i was negotiating the person i was negotiating with i said well we can come to 95 um and i said okay that's great uh but i know that i am i haven't been a software engineer before you you know you don't know whether i'm going to be successful at this job but i really feel like i'm worth at least a hundred thousand so what i'd like to do is basically make an agreement with you that if in the first three months if i hit a certain set of metrics i'll also get another five thousand dollars and create added to my salary and so we had to do a little negotiation of what those metrics would be, but they eventually did agree on that as well. And so after those three months, I just made sure I kicked butt on those metrics and then I got bumped up to the hundred, hundred K. So like, as in terms of like, once you, I think sometimes like when we come and we're like been trying so hard to get that first job and the first person that gives you one, you're like, Oh my gosh, yes, of course. Yes. I'll just take whatever you give me. But like, I just want to encourage anyone who's at that point or getting near that point or in the future, if you're at that point, you know, you have a lot of power in that moment and you can negotiate and there's really cool ways to be creative in that. Like, you know, 
uh, you can negotiate for things that aren't just salary. So you can negotiate for more uh, equity, uh, more stock options, or you can negotiate for better benefits. Like so many crazy things you can negotiate. And some of some, you know, the thing is you have to like let off your shoulders that they're not going to like fire you or like cancel this whole thing if you negotiate. Like they expect you to negotiate and that's fine. Yeah, I know you got to get on, uh, get on out of here, but uh, we we de definitely love to have you back and you know kind of discuss some of these negotiation techniques. Yeah, for sure, Kevin. I appreciate it. Nice to meet you, Raja. Nice to meet you, Terrence. Yeah, Hello, course. everyone. And like I said, reach out to me on LinkedIn. Um, even if it's not about Bloom Tech or whatever, or you just have other questions or you want to connect, reach out to me. Um, I, I'd be happy to, uh, to talk to anybody who's out there who's watching or listening. All right. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. Thank you for coming. Uh, we'll catch you all next time.